Um, we are we follow a lectionary in our church tradition, which is a, kind of a reading plan, a reading guide of the Bible throughout the, the entire year, and it helps us to follow in the life of Christ each year. Uh, it's one of the most powerful tools we have in terms of our own discipleship is every year as a community, we follow the story of Scripture. We live it with the Bible, which is really cool. And this year, there's three cycles of our lectionary, our reading plan, where we go through different gospels and books of the Bible. This year we're in Luke, but regardless of what gospel you're in, in our tradition, always the Sunday after Christmas, you read John 1, which is really cool, which is why uh, we've been tracking through Luke 1 and Luke 2, and all of a sudden we just switched over to John because this passage is so wonderful and powerful and beautiful and kind of captures the heart of Christmas and the incarnation, which is why we're doing that today. And... Uh, like I said, the, the idea was that we were all going to get a little bit of a break for the past four days. And so I was going to give a meditation and a homily and not preach a sermon. But uh, the more I just thought about this passage for, you know, a little bit of time I put into it, the more excited I got about actually preaching a sermon. So I was just going to give a meditation, but I don't know. We might, we might really dive into it because it's so wonderful. Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word to us. Um, Lord, we thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would dwell amongst us now. And we pray that you would be with our children who are also engaging with Christmas and with the incarnation. We'd be with the shepherds and the teachers in Treehouse, Lord. Fill our children with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with the love of Jesus and help them to know that they are loved. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, I just want to start by pointing out uh, a little bit. It's really cool what John is doing uh, between Genesis 1 and John 1. I don't know if you guys caught this, but flip in your bulletin with me to, to Genesis 1. If you have a pen, I, I want you to underline some, something in your bulletin. You can do it in your Bible as well, but I want you, I want to, I want you to make some connections between uh, Genesis 1 and John 1. If you don't have a pen, it's okay. Do it with your eyes. Uh, but the first thing I want you to underline, I'll give you guys a second. And if you're like my wife and you always carry like 20 pens, maybe share the love with somebody who doesn't have a pen around you. Okay. In Genesis 1, underline in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. The second thing I want you to underline is darkness. So in the beginning, darkness. The third thing I want you to underline is God said. The fourth thing I want you to underline is light. So here's the shape. This is how the Bible begins. If you're not very familiar with the Bible, this is the very beginning, okay? The Bible begins with darkness. God exists outside of and before it and he's he's the world is formless and void and there's darkness and then god speaks a word he says something what comes out of his mouth is a word and what does he say let there be light and what happens there was light he shines into the darkness that's the very beginning of the creation narrative and the bible okay now flip to john 1 I don't know if you guys caught this. Uh, this is extremely intentional. In John 1, I want you to underline in the beginning. Then second, I want you to flip down to verse 5. 
which is the very end of that first paragraph, the light shines in the what? Darkness, underline darkness. Then I want you to hop back up to verse one and I want you to underline word. And then I want you to hop down to verse four and I want you to underline light. John one is the same exact shape as Genesis one. Do you see this? There's darkness, right? We're gonna talk about the fall of humanity soon, but because of our sin, there's darkness. You guys understand darkness? Darkness is in our world, it's in our movies, it's in our novels, it's in our streets, it's in our city. I don't need to explain to you what that feels like personally, in your family, in your mind, in your heart. There's darkness. And God and the Spirit are hovering over the darkness. And just like in Genesis 1, out of mercy, God does something. And what does he do? He speaks a word into the darkness. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Not anything was made outside of the word. And then the word comes and what happens? There's light in the darkness. It's the same exact shape. Except what is the massive difference in John 1 than Genesis 1? We're, we're cozy enough to where we can actually talk, but I'll go ahead and say it. I, I laughed when I tried to give my children's sermon uh, on Christmas Eve. I said, you know, what's this? And Thomas, he just preached my sermon for me. I was like, okay, well, that was amazing, you know. Um, look at verse 14. Here's the difference. This time, the word becomes flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This time we have seen his glory. So this time God doesn't just speak the word. The word enters into creation. God steps into the darkness. And did you notice how this time the light is not just sunlight? It's not starlight. It's not candlelight. Look at verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone. God steps down and enters into the darkness. And he is the light. Do you see those connections? The Bible is amazing. And John 1 and Genesis 1 are so full you could study it your whole life and never get to the bottom of it. But he wants you to see this. He's saying, Jesus just happened, and we need to understand who he was and what, what he just did. He was there at the beginning with God in the beginning of all things, and now he's coming in as a new light. So when Adam and Eve sinned, we call it the fall in, in Christian theology and thinking. You might have heard that before. But I want you to actually imagine our sin and the sin of Adam and Eve as an actual fall, a descent. Think of it as a downward spiral. Some of you have experienced downward spirals in your life before, and you're not actually falling, but maybe you look back at a few months of your life and you think that was a, that was a descent. That was a downward spiral in my life. I want you to actually imagine that. And in the incarnation, when Jesus becomes a human, he descends, he goes down, he humbles himself. He starts in the heavens and he follows and empties himself us into the downward spiral. And it's really amazing, there's levels to this. So Jesus, kind of the first step in his descent 
into our darkness is the incarnation. He becomes born of Mary, right? He humbles himself and empties himself, even though he, you know, didn't, yeah. The incarnation is the first step. The second is the crucifixion. He goes even deeper into suffering and our sin. And then the depths of his descent is when he's in the tomb for three days. He's at the very, very bottom. So there's this U-shape to the story of Jesus that he starts and he descends into our, our mess and into our sin and then he rises again. I don't know who it is, but there's a church father, so basically a super old dead Christian who wrote a long time ago, who tells this story when he's talking about Jesus's descent. And it's, this isn't in the Bible, but I just think it's really beautiful. He talks about Jesus. Uh, we say this in our creed, we believe he descended to the dead. He's at the very bottom. And it says when he's amongst the dead, he finds, this is this old Christian thinker writing this. He says he finds Adam in the darkest, most recessed, dark corners of, of death. And he, he points at Adam, Jesus is there, and he says, the Lord be with you. And Adam says back to him, and with your spirit. And from then, when Jesus gets to the very bottom, he starts rising. So he comes back up from the grave, and then he ascends back into heaven. So the whole scope of the Bible and the story of Jesus is he starts high, and he dives into our mess. He humbles himself. He goes to the very darkest, ugliest, nastiest, most painful corner of human experience in our world. And then he comes back up like Superman, just like, like coming out of the ground. This is the story of Jesus, and it's amazing. Um, and by the way, this is what we follow every year. We follow this great U-shape, and it starts with Christmas where we celebrate him doing this. And over the next four or five months, we're going we're gonna to follow him as Jesus goes deeper and deeper into our pain and suffering and sin and then rises and rises again through Easter. And then we finish it and we're like, that was the best. Let's do that again. We're gonna do it every year until we die. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so here's the image. I, I, I want you to get that understanding that what we're celebrating in Christmas is Jesus descending into our mess. But I want, to, I want you to give, this, give you this image which has been really powerful for me. Um, and that's this, I, I read a book uh, one time, a story of a, an old British Royal Navy ship back in kind of the age, the golden age of sails. This is like turn of the 1800s. And uh, one of the shipmates falls off into the ocean. And most shipmates back in the old days couldn't swim, um, even though they lived their life at sea. No, nobody learned how to swim, which seems like an oversight, but apparently they didn't do that. And so he's not like flailing in the water. He's, he's gone. So like splash in the water and he disappears. And then everybody comes over on the edge of the boat to look. You know, as you would, you're, you're looking, oh my gosh, where is he? And he's gone. And then while everybody's looking over, they hear a splash. And in the, the meantime, the captain had taken off all his clothes and just dove and plunged into the wild open ocean to save this guy who had disappeared. And in some ways, this is kind of the image of what Jesus is doing. He's plunging in after you and I. And uh, just to drive the nail deeper, uh, there's an epic C.S. Lewis quote that goes along with this, uh, which is really good, so I'm going to read it. Um, if you quote C.S. Lewis, it's always the best part of your sermon. So, um, This is him talking about this, this shape of Jesus' life uh, and the way that he loves us. Okay? One has a picture of someone going right down and dredging the sea bottom. 
One has a picture of a strong man trying to lift a very big, complicated burden. He stoops down and he gets himself right under it so that he himself disappears. And then he straightens his back and moves off with the whole thing swaying on his shoulders. Or else one has the picture of a diver stripping off garment after garment, making himself naked, then flashing for a moment in the air and then down through the green and warm and sunlit water into the pitch black, cold, freezing water, down into the mud and slime, and then up again, his lungs almost bursting, back again to the green and warm and sunlit water, and then at last out into the sunshine. Holding in his hand the dripping thing he went down to get. This thing is human nature, but associated with it, all nature, the new universe. Isn't that good? Jesus dives, green, warm, sunlit water, all the way to the bottom, where it's dark and creepy and muddy and nasty. And he grabs us and he rises and then he bursts back through the water into the open air. This is incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. So I wanna give you two points of application that have been powerful for me this week. The first is this, Jesus saves you from the bottom up, not the top down. Jesus saves you from the bottom up, not the top down. Let me try to explain what I mean by that. Sometimes I think when we pray, we're, we're feeling like God is, you know, some being out there who like lives in space or something and we want him to maybe come and help us, but he's really distant. He maybe doesn't understand what we're in. We don't feel like anybody can understand what we're in. Uh, but with Jesus, it's different. Uh, Jesus actually comes into, he takes on our human nature. He experiences it with us and he, he saves us from the inside out, from the bottom up. So let me try to maybe make a distinction from this, lest that becomes really abstract. Um, think about if you're, I could use any example, but I'll use anxiety or anxiousness because all of us, something makes us anxious or we struggle with anxiety. Uh, that's such a common thing for so many of us in today's culture. One way would be to relate to God and say, Lord, help me with my anxiety. I'm struggling with it. And you're just kind of like, I don't even know how he's going to help, but you're praying to some God out there who has no idea what you're going through. Jesus coming from the bottom up, understanding that he's taken the plunge would be to pray, Lord, I know that you know what it feels like to be anxious. I know that you have experienced a level of anxiety that I will never even come close to in my whole life. And yet I know that you were faithful, you submitted to the will of God, you clung to scripture, and you defeated anxiety and all the dark powers of this world that are forcing me to be anxious. And then you're praying, Lord, give me that same fortitude and endurance. Teach me how to love you and be with you when I'm in the darkness of my anxiety. And then impart to me your victory in the resurrection and by the power of the Holy Spirit over all my anxious feelings. Do you see the difference? He goes down into it. Jesus knows everything that you are experiencing. He's been there. He understands it. He went all the way down to get it, and he comes back up through the resurrection. The second application is this. 
Jesus then, and this is what's wild and what we all get to walk in, Jesus then invites you to take the plunge. That's wild. When Jesus asks people to follow him, he doesn't say, open up your stone and rise from the dead with me. What does he say? Pick up your cross, right? That's interesting. Have you ever thought about that? When he says, follow me, he doesn't say, you know, take life. He says, take the plunge. So it's almost like you hear him splash and dive over the edge into the water. And beforehand, he's like, you need to follow me in this. Because what Jesus wants us all to experience with him is dying to ourself, dying to this world all the way to the bottom and then experience the life of Christ all the way up. We get to experience that resurrection with him. But he calls us to do this. So we are right here as a community following the life of Christ. I want you to know that Jesus has entered into every bit of the muck of your life. He experienced it. He died there. There's nothing in this world that's dark and scary that Jesus himself has not gone into. Amen? You should take deep comfort in that. He's experienced it and he's defeated it. So we can have hope, we can have confidence, and we can have faith. And what we're going to do over the next four or five months leading up to Good Friday and Easter is we're going to go down with Jesus and we're going to rise again. And he wants you to take the same plunge. He wants you to experience the same death to darkness and risen to new life that he has accomplished for us.